This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back here. Listening to MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. All right, on today's show, we'll speak with Evan Liu. He'll teach us about the finer points of the Olympic sport of curling. And we'll also hear about high school bowling from the Long Beach coach, Melanie Amale. Now, awesome guest we have live in studio with us here, a Mississippi Sports Hall of Famer and part of... Um, Boy, the absolute golden age of Ole Miss football, Billy Ray Adams in the studio with us. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Good. Excellent. Uh, Good to have you here this morning. So, played on the Ole Miss Rebels football teams from 59 to 61. Um, Looking back, uh, one of the, the... most widely regarded list of the best football teams of all time was put together by Bill Connolly. He had um, 61 is the 45th best team in the history of college football. 60 is the 34th best team and the 59 team as number one all time. What, I mean, did you, how, how much could you understand about how great, how legendary the teams you were playing for were when you were in the middle of it and, and part of the team there? Well, we really never thought about it. You know, we, uh, when we'd prepare for a game, we uh, we had so much confidence in so many great athletes that we knew all practical reasons we were going to win the football game. Yeah. We never, ever thought that we were going to lose the ball game. And those three years that you mentioned, we lost three games and tied one, and that included two, uh, three major bowl games, Sugar Bowl twice and Cotton Bowl once. Right. And uh, in the 59 team, we only had 21 points scored against us the entire year. Right, and it, uh, two of those touchdowns were in blowouts. Uh, and, of course, the other one-third of the points you gave up for the entire season uh, happened to be that punt return in the game that we won't talk about. But then you got your revenge on them in the bowl game. What was that like? I mean, how intense was the preparation for the rematch? Or did Coach Vaught, did he take that out of it, and it's just another game? Is it the next game? Well, quite frankly, as a squad member, we were mad. We were mad about it, and right. we were determined that that wasn't going to happen again. So we go down there, and we, of course, we beat them uh, twenty-one to nothing. And Billy Cannon had a minus ten yards rushing. <laughs> That's fantastic. So that was mission accomplished. Oh yes, certainly. Oh, yeah. uh, in 1961, you led the SEC in a bunch of categories, including touchdowns and scoring and and yards from scrimmage and things like that. Uh, what's it like seeing the SEC today and what it's what college football has grown into and what it's become and knowing that you know you're part of the history books in in the in what some people consider the golden age of college football. Well, back then, uh, Ole Miss was like the modern-day Alabama team, except back then there was the league, the SEC, was more balanced. There were a lot, a lot more teams that yeah. were good. Uh, not, not to belittle any college team now, but it seems like now, as far as uh, depth 
and winning ball games. It's Alabama and then the rest of the SEC. (laughs) Well, okay, so Billy Adams is our guest, college football player, Ole Miss, 59-60-61. Just out of my curiosity, this is back at the time when freshmen didn't play. So you you commit to a school, you go up there, and you play on the freshman team, and and you're not a part of – like the team proper for an entire year in this day and age where everything is so fast and instant and microwave that I, I imagine it would drive young men crazy now to have to sit and wait and watch everybody for an entire year outside of the ones that get redshirted or you know, whatever. But what, what was that process like back in those days? Well, you know, as you said, we had a freshman schedule, freshman team schedule is four or five games and you didn't play everybody. But that was to me was a bill. For example, in my case, as a fullback, uh, I had an All-American fullback in front of me, Charlie Flowers, 59 team, and then an All-SEC, uh, All-SEC fullback in 60, Hoss Anderson. Yeah. So in 59, I played on the uh, third team, and I played just about as much as the first team because we, we played about platoon. Yeah. You play on offense. If you lost, if lost the ball or scored, you get over and play defense. Wow. And I played cornerback on defense. All right. So, um, and I guess it, it, this is a kind of an on-the-surface question, but uh, what was it like playing for, for Coach Johnny Vaughn, legendary coach at Ole Miss for so long and, and part of the namesake of the school, uh, the, the, the stadium now, amongst many, many other things? But what was it like playing for him? Well, first place, he was highly respected. Uh, the first thing he said in a team meeting, he said, if you're not good enough and work hard enough to pass your schoolwork, then you're not going to play. And that was a good thing. But education is why he went there. Football was second. Yeah. But in my particular case, uh, he was like a father to me. My father, I never knew my dad. Mm-hmm. He left from home when I was about six, uh, six years old. But anyway, Coach Vaught was, was my father. And he treated me like his son. Yeah. And then jokingly at the end of the season, we were on a banquet, and I came up behind and kind of spooked him. And he turned around, and he always called me this. He said, how you doing, Bobby Roy? I said, <laughs> I said, Coach, my name is not Bobby Roy. He said, well, I'll tell you one damn thing, Bobby Roy. He <laughs> said, uh, I would, uh, those who contributed to the team, I know the name. <laughs> and I hope he was joking. <laughs> right, right. So what, how did your relationship continue with him after you were done playing football? Well, of course, moved away and I, I couldn't, didn't, couldn't come to many games. Mm-hmm. But I, we had meetings and honors, you know, all the banquets and stuff. That, that was about the only time I saw him. Now, I went when I went to games up there. He lived. We'd stop by his house and visit with him and, until he got down real sick. And yeah, but he was a super, super, super guy. Yeah, and for someone to be able to keep keep his coaching staff intact for all those years, right? He didn't lose any coaches. Yeah. What was the Egg Bowl like back in those days? I know for the longest time it was it was it was. 
dominated by Ole Miss, uh, and the programs were very, very far apart uh, in terms of prestige and success on the field. And today it's very close, always. Uh, no one seems to can pull away from the other, and just what it looks like they do, that's when it gets turned on its ear. Uh, and it's rather contentious these days. Uh, I wonder, what was it like then? Was it, more, was it as contentious, but maybe in a different way? Well, you, you hit it on the head, different way. Uh, for example, we never ever had a thought in our mind that we were going to lose to Mississippi State. As a matter of fact, the three years we played them, they to- had a total of 16 points in three years. <laughs> so, you know, we got, to, as a sophomore, my 59, 59 team, mm-hmm. uh, I played a lot, played about a third of the game <laughs> because we had to, you know, we were beating them pretty bad. Yeah. But uh, it's just, uh, as I said, we had so many athletes. When I signed with Ole Miss, you had, they could sound all they wanted. And I, I played fullback, obviously. And I get up there, and I'm one of 14 fullbacks. And I look around, and I said, Billy Ray, you're really smart. <laughs> you know, but they moved, they moved, you know, athletes back then in the high schools, they had a, most high schools had a fullback, quarterback attack, and everything else blurred off of that. Yeah. And so when they moved several of those fullbacks uh, to other positions, plus a couple of them left, fell, flunked, or whatever, mm-hmm. and wound up with just three of us left, and I beat the other two out, so I got to move up my sophomore year to, to, to the varsity from the freshman team. That's what I've always heard about, uh, the, you know, the, the, the greatest coaches back in the day uh, in that era, no scholarship limits or anything like that, so, you know, as often they would recruit some players just as much to keep them from landing at this other spot as they would to have them on their team. Uh, and like you mentioned, how, how did uh, – what was the the competition like? Uh, what was the camaraderie amongst the players like? Did that make for, you know, a more contentious team? Or was it just – was it expected and just part of the process when you go in there, like you said, and you got 13 other guys – Listed at your position, you're like, oh goodness, how you know, how am I going to make, you know, wh- which end is up? Well, one thing I can think of, for example, it seemed the injury problem. You know, if you got hurt, uh, you didn't dare tell a coach unless you had a broken bone or whatever. Yeah. Because if you told the coach, they'd move you down. For example, if I was on the third, if I was a sophomore, and I was on the third team, they, if I got couldn't go, they'd move me down a slot, put somebody up. So it was always a battle within positions of the team to make sure that you know you did what was uh, required for you to do. So it could be it, it could be said that that first year that you get to play is almost as important as any. Oh yeah, I, I wanted to redshirt, mm-hmm. and uh, I found Coach Fultz told me that I was going to move up. Like I said, I, I had an All American who was a senior. All SEC fullback in front of me. I said, Coach, I'm not going to get to play much. You know that. And he said, Tell you one thing, Bobby Roy. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of them might get hurt, and you're my you're my man then. Yeah. He said, I'm not going to redshirt you. I want you to move up. And I said, Okay. Well, I'm glad I did for two reasons. Number one, I would not have been a part of that national championship team of '59, nor would I have gotten to play. You know, uh, on that team. Yeah. So that was quite an honor. 
What, what is it like to go back to Ole Miss now and see the the football facilities and the stadium and everything as it is now? I remember uh, Billy Brewer, who was one of your teammates uh, there. Uh, I remember when he, uh, in an interview once, he said when he was hired back to be the coach, I think his first year was 81 or 82, maybe. I can't remember exactly. When he came back to Ole Miss, he was stunned that the stadium and the football facilities and the weight room and everything was basically the same one he had left as a player like 15, 20 years earlier. But just in these last 30, 35 years to see how far the university has come uh, in terms of football facilities and stuff like that, is it? I mean, does it cease to amaze you how, how much money goes into it, how far it's come, how, how no much compar- emphasis is on it? No comparison. I mean, it was a daylight and dark type of thing. Yeah. Because now they've got as good of facilities as anybody in the, in the program yeah. of playing football. Uh, back when we played, uh, we actually never played more than three or four games in Jackson, I mean, in Oxford, yeah. because the stadium wouldn't hold but 35,000. Right. Now, what is it, 70 something thousand? Mm-hmm. And so we played games in Jackson, uh, Memphis. Yeah. We'd play, we played, oh, we'd play LSU. We'd play them twice down there, and one time in Jackson, or one time in, in, uh, Oxford, yeah, because of the, uh, you know, but you could buy a ticket for seven dollars, right? You know what a ticket costs? For the, <laughs> you know what a ticket costs now for the Ole Miss LSU game? Uh, more than seven hundred dollars, right? No doubt. All right, so in the time we have left, tell me what happened. Uh, you know, you get done playing, uh, playing in fifty nine, sixty, sixty one. Um, when you got done playing for Ole Miss, what what was the next step that you took? Well, like I said, I, I coached, coached for a year. <clears throat> And starved to death, so I sort of uh, fortunately got in the insurance business mm-hmm. and stayed in it thirty something years, and was real. We had a real good company, Barksdale Binding mm-hmm. Insurance Company. And when, when you left Ole Miss, you signed a you signed a free agent deal with the 49ers, right? And had an accident, right. a car accident, and you couldn't play. So I'm thinking today, you know, a star player in the SEC is looking at probably like a, I mean, a, a multi million dollar to say the least, career in the NFL. If he gets hurt, it's, a, it's, it's tragic. But back in those days, what was the expectation of being a pro football player? And when that gets taken away, was it, was it nearly as big a deal as it might be today? Well, it really, it really bothered me for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I said, you know, God has a purpose. And that wasn't what he intended me to do. Yeah. Was to play f- football. And so I just, you know, it took a while to overcome that. Then I said, hey, you got to raise a family and make a living. Right. So, it, it, but was, it was a tough situation. Was coaching football part of trying to scratch that itch? Right. Maybe? Right. That was part of it. I coached with Bum Phillips out in Texas. Wow. In high school, and good oh coach. Oh my! Great coach. Great coach. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's just the money wasn't there, and I, you know I couldn't. Uh, provide for my family. So, I know I, I near I didn't play nearly on the level that you played on in any kind of sport. But I know when I got done being an active player and tried to go and coach, it it was killing me because I didn't want to be there to coach. I wanted to play. How much of that did you deal with? Well, trying daily, to tell people how to do it, and when they daily, do it wrong, it's like move out of the way. Daily, daily. <laughs> you know, you know. That boy say, "Let me jump in and show you how to do it." Yeah. You know, but you're right. It's a, it's quite, a, it was a struggle for a while. Mm-hmm. But finally, I said, "Hey, you know, 
you know, one of my favorite Bible texts or scripture is Philippians 4.13. Mm-hmm. It says, I can do all things through God who comforts me mm-hmm. and honors me. But you got to do it. you got to say, hey, you can do it. You know, I had a lot of things to happen in my lifetime. The car wreck I don't want in, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And uh, I could have... I could have given up, but I knew God was there. Yeah. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. He was right there, and he sat there with me on the side of that road uh, on the Natchez Trace for three hours before anybody found me. Wow. So he was there, and he still is. Yeah. Where was that? Uh, it was about 20 miles up the Trace. Mm-hmm. I came down here to accept a, uh, what they called it then, it most valuable player award. In the Jackson, excuse me, Jackson Touchdown Club, mm-hmm. and after the banquet, I was going home, and we played Mississippi State on that Saturday before. And I'm from Columbus, so my wife and I went over to Columbus, and you know, football season is over, and we didn't get much sleep, and that's probably yeah. You know, I just it was raining, and I just well, matter of fact, back at the at the at the banquet I was at, I got a call. From Lou Spadia, who was a general manager of the 49ers, he said, I got, I got a scout down there. I want to talk to you. And I said, I can't do it because Vault says I can't tell it. It'd be illegal to do it uh, before the bowl game. Yeah. Wow. And so, anyway, he said, He's there. You might, anyway, he said, Just meet him. Mm-hmm. So I met with him at the Heidelberg Hotel for a while and then left home. And uh, by that time, it was 12 30, 1 o'clock yeah. at night. Uh, back then, Trace is, it's treacherous long. now well, at night time. So lonely. <laughs> right. It's, uh, it's treacherous now. You are uh, not by yourself out there on the Natchez Trace driving out there in the middle of the night in the, in the dark. All right, so uh, uh, do you get a chance to, to talk or, or meet up with or stay uh, close to any of the other guys from the teams? No. As a matter of fact, until about four years ago, the entire backfield, the quarterback, Doug Elmore, passed away several years back. But now we still have the rest of the backfield living here in Jackson. We see each other all the time, meet with each other, go to ball games, uh, both, uh, both halfbacks. And myself, a fullback. That's awesome. Uh, and, and at one point, we all live within a mile of each other. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it just missed a lot then, you know. Yeah. And our businesses were within a mile of each other. How about that? Unbelievable. That Coach Vought would be proud. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time with us this morning. You're quite welcome. That, it's very awesome uh, going back. Wish, wish I could have been alive to experience... Um, uh, you know, one of the Mississippi schools being up in the very top of the polls and being so dominant. Uh, I think they held the, the number one position in the AP poll in each of those three seasons at, at one point or another. And then, like you said, in 59, the Football Writers Association of America uh, national champions. And for folks who don't know, the, the AP poll, which for years decided, I guess, technically who the national champion was, did not – take a vote after a certain point in the season. So bowl games were not even counted. So uh, FWA National Champions 1959. Mr. Billy Ray Adams, thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. All right, we are going to take a break, and we're going to come right back uh, after this timeout. On the program today, uh, we have Evan Liu, 
who's going to talk to us about the Olympic sport of curling. And then uh, Long Beach High School bowling coach Melanie Amale. Yeah? Maybe? I'll get there. Hopefully before the hour's over. That's all coming up. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. this interview with Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame member Bobby Ray Adams, you might enjoy listening to a podcast of our other Hall of Fame interviews. Jackson State University baseball legend Bob Braddy Sr. was interviewed on our January 25th podcast and Mississippi track Olympian from the 60, 64, and 68 games, Ralph Boston was interviewed on our January 18th podcast. All our past shows can be found at mpbonline.org slash season pass. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. for tuning in to MPB's Season Pass on Think Radio. I'm Liz Gill. The Winter Olympics are coming up. They showcase some of uh, the sports that people in Mississippi might not be familiar with, and one of those sports is curling. We've invited onto the show Evan Liu. He's president of the Mid-South Ice House Curling Club. So thanks for joining us, Evan. Hello, how are you, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It, you know, it's it's only 60, but it's it's cold to me. And I can just imagine when we start watching the Winter Olympics, I'm going to need a big mug of hot chocolate and a big throw rug to keep myself warm while watching all these alpine skiers. Well, the best place to watch the games is inside your house. Uh, that way you're not freezing cold outside uh, with, with those guys out playing the sports. That's right. Evan, we've invited you on because you're interested and have knowledge about curling. Tell us about curling. So curling is basically a a team sport that is played on the ice. Uh, The players take turns sliding rocks across a a sheet towards a target about 100 feet from uh, where you start. Uh, The target area is known as a house, and it is a circle that is 12 feet in diameter. Uh, The object of the game is you're trying to put your rocks near the middle of that circle, and uh, the more rocks you have in that circle closer to the middle, compared to the other team uh, gives you points. Uh, the standard game is a four-player versus four-player game, and uh, however recently, uh, they've created another format where it's actually a two-on-two game. So actually this year at the Olympics, the two-on-two format will uh, be uh, played for the first time. 
So when you say rocks, I usually think of a rock as maybe the size of a of a baseball or a softball, but these rocks are pretty huge. Yes, uh, curling rocks or stones, as we call it, uh, are, are pretty big when you when you compare it to a standard small rock. Uh, the curling rock is approximately 40 pounds uh, in weight. Uh, give it a little bit plus or minus depending on the condition of the of the rock. Uh, f- for cooking people, it looks a bit like my six quart stock pot. <laughs> Yes, it's uh, basically a big piece of granite that we uh, throw up and down the ice and uh, play uh, bumper cars with. Oh, that, that's, that's another great analogy. So tell me about how long you've been involved in curling. Well, uh, I started curling in the mid-90s uh, during high school while uh, I grew up in Canada. I moved down to the Mid-South uh, Memphis area in 2005, and I figured uh, my curling days were over. Um, fast forward to uh, 2012, I learned that uh, the Mid-South uh, just recently built a new ice arena, opened, uh, opened up here in Olive Branch, Mississippi, and I found that that facility actually was equipped for curling. Uh, I was overjoyed, and uh, ever since then, I've been involved with the curling program here in the Mid-South. Well, aren't we blessed that they had the forethought to, you know, because a lot of places, you know, they might just have ice skating, but I guess this venue, it's also big enough for a full hockey game, and uh, they have curling, too. That's correct. Do they have a separate how does it actual functionally work is there are there the curling circles under the ice all the time or do you put is there like a separate area outside of the oval or where is the curling in relation to the hockey all right, so what we do here in the Mid-South is what we call arena curling. So depending on where you're at in the country, some places actually have dedicated ice surfaces for curling, whereas places uh, like the Mid-South where curling is still a growing sport, uh, we really don't have the facilities for a dedicated uh, curling uh, sheets of ice. So what we basically do is uh, we have the rings that are actually already painted uh, underneath the ice surface, uh, so when they're playing hockey at the Mid-South Ice House, the rings are still there. However, the ice surface that you play curling on is a little different than the surface uh, that you play hockey on. So each week uh, when we go to the the ice rink to uh, start up curling, we have to actually have to prepare this ice surface for for curling. So uh, when when you're curling on arena ice, uh, you you actually have to spray on a texture uh, of water. So we basically spray a mist of water and pedible the ice surface. Uh, these little droplets of water then land on the ice and refreeze. And that textured surface is actually what allows us to throw the rocks down the ice and be able to uh, curl and, and, and control the direction of the rock and the, and the play of, of, of the curling game. Evan, tell us about uh, the Mid-South Curling Club. Tell us about your involvement and in, in how that got started. 
Well, when curling started at the Mid South Ice House, uh, it was actually run as a as a activity that the Ice House uh, provided to the public. Uh, so for for several years, uh, we we were organized by the Ice House as a as an activity that uh, they provided. Uh, we uh, typically have six uh, to ten teams in our leagues. Uh, over the years, as we as we have grown and have have. Uh, provided more teams uh, to to the sport. Uh, we actually a couple of years ago decided that um, maybe we need to give it a try and create a curling club like they do in most of the bigger cities where they have uh, a lot more curlers. So at the beginning of last season, uh, the members of our local curling community here decided that uh, it was time to form the Mid South Curling Club. And so at the beginning of last season, uh, we officially became the Mid South curling club have any of the curling club members gotten to travel other places to participate in curly or do, curling or do you mostly just stay in the olive branch arena most of the time we play in the olive branch uh, arena area um each year actually there's been several of us uh for the last couple of years that we have traveled up to Kansas City where uh, each summer they have a tournament up there. So uh, several of us have traveled up to Kansas City and have played in uh, bond spiels, or, which is basically what you call a curling tournament uh, in Kansas City. And uh, in Kansas City, we play against teams from Oklahoma, you know, uh, Missouri, Texas, and other visiting uh, curling clubs. And uh, we, we have a nice uh, weekend tournament. Bond spiel. Well, we'll have to get you on in July so that when it's 97 degrees and really hot, we can imagine ourselves in a or or go to the ice house and participate in a nice frozen cold uh, activity. The great thing about playing curling here in the Mid-South is our curling season is actually in the spring through the summer. Uh, typically, as you go into the northern states, uh, curling is definitely a winter sport. But based on the availability of ice, we we actually play in, in, in the summer months, and which is definitely going, going to the ice rink in the middle of summer is definitely a change from the 100-degree weather that you experience outside. Well, tell us about curling in other parts of the country. I know, you know, some people belong to bowling leagues or maybe they go play darts, but curling is just a regular old thing in other parts of the states and Canada. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, some places where where it's really, really popular, it's, it's no different than uh, a bowling alley where they have leagues uh, every night of the week. Uh, so depending on your skill level and such, uh, as you go to the cities where curling is very, very popular, every day of the week uh, after work, you'd go there, whether you're playing with a, a casual recreational family league or a, a very, very intense competitive league, uh, as, as you go to those cities where, where curling is very, very popular, uh, you will see it not just being a once or, or twice a, a week type activity. It really becomes a, a sport that uh, people play every day. Okay, Evan, you've got me hooked. So what's the first thing we need to know when uh, we're going to go curling? Well, let's see. When we teach people how to curl, the first thing, of course, is this is a sport that is played on ice. 
So the first thing we do when we bring out new curlers is first off teach them about ice safety. Uh, the last thing you want to do is uh, get on that ice and, and uh, slip and fall. So at, once we go through the ice safety, the next thing you want to learn about is curling is all about fun. Um, there's no point in doing it if you're not having fun. So it's really actually pretty easy uh, to pick up curling. Uh, curling is suited for people with a wide range of athletic ability. Um, in our leagues, we we have people who are very fit and in their in their in their teens, up to uh, people up in, in into their 60s. So definitely, it's it curling is a sport for everyone. Of course, with any sport, uh, as you start playing it more, uh, some some people look towards the very competitive side of, of curling and then you can take it to that Olympic level but generally speaking it, it is a great social game just like bowling where you meet up at the ice rink uh, you meet up with your friends uh, have a good time and uh, make a great night out of it when I've watched curling on television uh, you see the team member who what do you call launches throws slides Skids. What's the person who lets go of the rock? So on a curling team, you basically have four four teammates. Uh, they actually take turns throwing rocks, sweeping rocks, and and, and screaming. So at the beginning of the of, of the end or or the frame, uh, you have have the lead, and the, the lead throws the first two rocks, where two of his other teammates will sweep the rocks, and the skip, uh, who's basically the captain of the team, stands at the very end of the sheet of ice. So as the Lead throws his rocks. His teammates sweep. Uh, so, and then later on in the end, he'll become one of the sweepers, and his other teammates uh, kind of take turns going through through throwing rocks. Each player per end throws two rocks and uh, sweeps the other rocks. So it's just really a, a team sport where everyone gets involved in every aspect of the game. So you call them sweepers. Are they actually broom-type equipment, or are they – sometimes they've looked like squeegees. What, what, what's the material that the sweepers use? So the history of the curling broom, it really kind of depends on how far back you go. Uh, so when you, when you start out uh, to the beginning of curling, the brooms were actually brooms uh, that you would uh, go and uh, maybe sweep up your kitchen floor with. As, as all major sports uh, develop as, as the sporting equipment gets better, uh, we now have these harder, um, almost uh, sponge-like uh, brooms where, where the players uh, scrub, scrub the ice. So depending on the, t- the ice conditions and, and the level of curling uh, you're, you're, you're in, uh, the curling equipment can range anywhere from a broom that you would use in the kitchen to these high-tech new brooms uh, that, that the, uh, the Olympic players use. I need to take a picture of myself because I'm grinning so much. This just enjoys, I enjoy learning about new sports. I'm excited about learning, uh, getting ready for the Olympics. And fashion, at least in the Olympics, the the, the past Olympics, fashion were a part of curling. Uh, What was with the, what team was that that had the wild and crazy pants? That was a men's team from Norway. Uh, So every team kind of, 
the, your uniform for curling normally when you go to to uh, recreational tournaments it's uh so once again it goes back to all about having fun so so teams will dress up uh, some will even play in costume and uh and so so definitely uh having having pants with uh, all all different colors and and designs is is definitely something that is that is is allowed in the sport of curling because uh we're all there to have fun at the end of the day Evan, I'm so excited about trying the sport of curling. Where uh, I know the Mid South Ice House uh, has curling opportunities. How can people get more involved if they happen to be up in that area? As the Olympics are coming up, we actually have two curling classes uh, coming up in February. Uh, we'll have a class on Sunday, February 18th, and also Saturday, February 24th. Uh, for more information, uh, you can go and find the Mid-South Curling Club on Facebook, or you can email us at uh, midsouthcurling at gmail.com. Well, Evan, we'll be sure to put that information online where everyone will be able to listen to this podcast. If they miss part of it, they can also listen to some of our other podcasts at mpbonline.org slash season pass. Evan Liu, thanks for being on our show today. Great. Thanks. Uh, Great talking to you. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk with Coach Melanie Amale from Long Beach High School's bowling team. Then we'll also talk about what's going on in sports. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. If you miss any of our show and you want to hear an interview again, just go to wherever you get podcasts and pick up our show. If you subscribe to it, you'll get notified each time we add a new episode of MPB's Season Pass. I'm Liz Gill here with Jay White. This is MPB's Season Pass on MPB Think Radio. you've enjoyed this interview with Mid-South Ice House Curling Club President Evan Liu, you might enjoy listening to an interview we did January 4th, 2018 with Alan Blackwell. He participates in the Olympic sport of skeleton. You can find that interview and others at mpbonline.org slash season pass. Thanks for tuning in to MPB's Season Pass. I'm Liz Gill with Jay White. If you miss any part of our show, you can listen to the show in its entirety on mpbonline.org slash season pass. Sports come in a variety of types, each with a special skill set needed. The Mississippi High School Activities Association is hosting their regional tournaments for bowling soon. So we've brought onto the show the Long Beach High School coach, Melanie Emil. Welcome to the show, coach. Thank you for having me. Well, we're so glad you are. So would you say that there are a lot of high schools with bowling teams in Mississippi? Uh, 
actually there are and we've only been we've only had our bowling team for two years and I didn't even realize how big it was until I started coaching it but yes there are absolutely a ton of schools around Mississippi with a bowling team more than I thought well who was the poker and the prodder to get a team there at Long Beach that was actually me I found out that there was even bowling on the coast um, to another coach that coached softball with me and kind of got it going through there. I didn't, Long Beach didn't have a team and there was an interest, so we went ahead and got it started. Do the students who bowl, do they see themselves as athletes? Early on, I tell them they are an athlete, so yes, absolutely. Do you have them do anything physically to prepare for bowling season? Um, Well, I have some students that participate in a Saturday youth league. I have quite a few of them doing that. I encourage them to participate in a summer uh, youth league program that they have. There's also free bowling during the summer that I encourage them to do, and um, along with our practices during season. I know some of the schools on the coast actually have it as a block, an athletic block, so we don't, but some of those schools do. I enjoy bowling, and if I haven't bowled in a while, of course, my my thigh muscles and my, my arm, you can really feel it afterwards. Do you do anything to help the kids prepare physically or just the repetition of it? Uh, repetition right now, but... I would be interested in hearing what if if any other schools do anything as far as weight-wise or conditioning-wise to help with that. But the more repetition, the more they bowl, their arms will get more used to it, and they'll be in shape to do so. I just have in my mind someone holding a nice swirly marble-colored bowling ball and going out from the chest, in from the chest, above the head, and down while while squatting or doing lunges. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but the, they get a little tired when some of them don't bowl and we start practice. They do get a little tired, but the more the season goes on, they get used to it. They're okay. Do the bowlers do anything to, to study the game? Do you have strategy sessions or talk about physics or review past matches? Uh, We do look at scores, um, especially against teams in our regions, to kind of know where we are and where we need to be. I have also looked up some videos and sent them some links and shared that with them. And when we're at practice, we have several coaches around with us that sit with the kids one by one and we talk about you know some of the things they need to do differently and then we will also go and bowl fair practice so the bowling alley will set up different types of fair shots and we'll practice those okay i i guess if that if you're going to practice a split go ahead and set that up for that Yes, ma'am. What are some other advice that you have given in the past to the bowlers as as a coaching? What is coaching advice that uh, they've been told? Bowling is just like any other sport. You know, my biggest advice I can give them is to practice. Even when we're not practicing, if you have free time or it's raining outside and you can't go and do anything outside, like come and bowl. The more you bowl, the better you're going to get. And that's with any sport. The advantage of bowling over some other ones, other sports, is that you just have to go to the lane and everything's set up for you and it's there. 
other sports require another coach to be there or someone to hit you balls or throw pitches to you. So, I mean, I'm just a big believer the more you practice, the better you get. Do any of your bowlers have, have they gotten bad habits that they need to be coached to overcome? Uh, yes, at times, um, depending on some of the youth leagues that they're in. They may pick up a bad habit, and we kind of need to tweak them here and there throughout the season, but a little bit. Tell us about some of your team members. Are these what? What are some? Give, just give me some idea of some of the, maybe the personalities that are on your your team there. Well, I have several volleyball players, several softball players, a couple baseball players a couple football players, and then I have some that are in band, some that's in choir. So it's a very eclectic group of kids. Some, all they do is bowl. This is their only sport. Yeah, I think last year I had one that was on quiz bowl, so I've had some really smart kids on my team as well. They're very eclectic. I guess with any sport, there's also a, a mental aspect to that. How do you how do you coach that uh for a for a bowler with uh, getting confidence up or being intimidated? I mean, bowling, the biggest thing with bowling is them getting frustrated. Like if they miss their mark or don't pick up a stare that they normally would pick up, just keeping their confidence up, their spirit up, and not getting so down on themselves. You know, the whole point in playing a sport is that it should be fun. They should enjoy it. So I just try to, you know, let them know that stay confident, don't get down, and you'll have another shot at it because typically we'll bowl three games a night. That's 10 frames each time. You know, they have an opportunity to fix whatever's going on, so don't get too down on themselves. What is your history with bowling? Did, did I hear, did I understand you also coach another sport? Yes, I coach volleyball and I coach softball and bowl. Have you been a bowler in the past yourself? I have not been a bowler. Um, my assistant coach is the big bowler on our team, so he's been super helpful to us. I think this is a wonderful chance for people who are athletic, who want to continue being active. You mentioned that some of your kids have uh, participated in other sports. This lets them continue to be active and represent their school for the, the rest of the year. Uh, what about supporters? Do you have how do, do you have much uh, support from uh, from parents or from the community? Uh, mostly parents. Parents and grandparents are a big, big part of our support group. That's probably about it. <laughs> we do get a lot of the bowlers that will bowl at the bowling alleys. They're league bowlers. They will come out and watch the kids. Mostly people who bowl in leagues are the ones that are super interested and want to be there to watch. You know, bowling as far, I don't think people realize just how big it really is. And I don't I don't think I realized when I first started coaching how big it really is. But as big as it is to us, like we know, but I don't know that outside people realize it. Those of us coaching it know, but I don't think people, you know, even coaches at our school ask, you know, is bowling big? And I'm like, yeah, it really is. Matter of fact, D'Otterville had a kid that went on a full scholarship, I believe, to, it's slipping my mind right now, but he got a full ride to a school in Alabama for bowling. That is fantastic news. As a mother who has put three kids through college, uh, you look for those scholarships wherever you can, and if you can get them while your, your kid has a great time participating in a sport, that's all the better. 
Yes. I mean, his was Spring Hill. That's what it was. But there is scholarship opportunities out there for it as well. So the younger they can start, the better off. All right. Well, we thank you so much, Coach Melanie. Hi, hi, Mel. We appreciate your coming on Season Pass. And I love hearing the bowling noise in the background. (laughs) Thank you. We spoke with uh, Coach uh, Amel uh, and recorded that interview before the Class 2 South Regional that was held yesterday. The results, Richland girls got first, Long Beach girls got second. Both of them will advance to the state tournament. Gaucher boys got first and West Harrison boys got second. Both advance to state. We're about to take our last break of the show. When we come back, uh, Jay and I will talk about what's going on in sports this weekend. Uh, Maybe something super. You're listening to MPB's Season Pass on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Liz, the big game, I guess we're contractually obligated to call it. No, we can call it the Super Bowl. I can call it the Super Bowl. Right. We have that going on this weekend. Do you have a rooting interest? I don't. You know, we've lived in different places around the country. We've had family in the military, and they've lived in different places around the country. My daughter did go to school in Vermont and learn to hate the Patriots. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Hate? I, yeah. Vermont? Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's, a, a, what do you call it, oppositional disorder. Ah. She, uh, everybody else liked the Patriots. So she had to not like the Patriots. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. Resistance. I got you. Okay. But I'm, you know, I also like the Puppy Bowl and Justin Timberlake at the halftime. So that would be fun. And the snacks. So. Yeah. And I wish, you know, the last one of the things that people really love for the longest time is to watch the commercials. Right. And I don't know. It seems to me like the last five years. They've they've messed that up. Well, sometimes they're they're worse. a little raunchy or they're just plain mean. But I'm excited to find out about uh, the couple of Mississippi players that we can cheer for. Yeah, it, it, those commercials. It seems like everybody wants to make some sort of political or social statement with their commercial now. Nah, man, I just want the Bud Bowl. You know, just give me the Bud Bowl back. or show the Clydesdales or yes, or just just the funny stuff. Give me the funny stuff back. All right, so. We got some players with some Mississippi ties playing in the Super Bowl. Among them, Fletcher Cox, 
who is you know a three-time Pro Bowler, uh, three-time AP First Team. We asked for an interview. <laughs> right, he's, <laughs> he's super busy. Uh, Mississippi State uh, Bulldog uh, picked twelfth overall in the first round by the Philadelphia Eagles. Yazoo City guy, uh, Yazoo City High School. Uh, he is uh, tied for fourth in the NFL in sacks since two thousand fifteen, and uh, he is one of the absolute best uh, in football right now. Also, uh, Brandon Bolden, a former Ole Miss running back, uh, is a player for the Patriots. And then you have Steven Gostkowski, who is, a, who is the place kicker for the Patriots. He is a Madison native, played at Memphis, University of Memphis, uh, but is from uh, Madison, Mississippi. Don't know how he got up there. But, um, yeah, it, he is arguably one of the best, if not one of the best two or three kickers place kickers in all of football and this is his fifth Super Bowl appearance. My daddy had told me if I'd been a boy, I'd been out there kicking a ball every day from the time I was four. (laughs) Well, hey, we proved um, just a couple of months ago that uh, you don't have to be a boy anymore. That's true. And our first female score points in a Mississippi State football championship game this year uh, uh, by place kicking. All right, uh, my thanks to our guest today and for Liz Gill setting all this up. Thank you very much. And uh, stay tuned. Coming up next, Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, right here on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.